podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you decided to join us and hope you enjoyed this week's message. The end of the year and the beginning of the next one often brings times of reflection and review. We can scan the events and tally up our accomplishments and also our shortcomings. We especially remember the events that had an impact on our lives. Some have lost loved ones. Some have experienced happiness, such as a baby being born. Others have been through deep tragedy and others dreams fulfilled. This type of reflection occurs for a Christian each Lord's Day. When we gather around the communion table, it is a time of review a time of looking back at our thoughts, actions, and purposes. It is also a time to reflect on the death of Christ on that cross, not the suffering alone, but the purpose behind it. There are many things that we do not know about the crucifixion, but there are other things that we know for certain. We know that Jesus died in our place for our sins. Hebrews 2.9 reads, But do we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone? The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we take the emblems here today, Let us remember more what the price was paid for our salvation. Let us go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you invite us to come to this table. We're thankful, Father, for what these emblems represent, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you confessing, asking your forgiveness, and seeking guidance. I just pray, Father, you be with each and every one of us. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're in a sermon series entitled Devoted, and we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost back in 30 AD. The Bible says when he explained who Jesus was that uh, 3,000 people responded to the message and were repented and were baptized into Christ. And then the Bible says in Acts 2, 41, the Lord added them to that number that day. That is, they were added to the church as soon as they were saved. They became part of the church universal. And I want you to notice what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. These were not things they did infrequently or they did in their free time or they did when they were not busy or when there was nothing else to do or when it was simply convenient. These things were a priority. They were on the top of their to-do list. They devoted themselves to these things. The King James words a little differently. It says they continue steadfastly doing these things. These were not side dishes. These were the main course. These were not secondary things to be done when time permitted. They were primary. Now, last week we talked about the apostles' teaching, which we discovered was the same thing as Jesus' teaching. 
God told Jesus what to say. Jesus told the Holy Spirit what to say. The Holy Spirit told the apostles what to say. And Jesus reminded the apostles the Holy Spirit would guide them in all truth. The church needs to be devoted to the truth that God has given us, and we need to proclaim it. Now, the Bible says that many unbelievers will despise the truth and anybody who teaches the truth. They, the Bible says they will distort the truth. It says they will suppress the truth. They will exchange the truth for a lie. They will reject the truth, refuse to love the truth, even be unable to acknowledge the truth, oppose the truth, and turn their ears from the truth. But the church, the church is called to worship in the truth, to be sanctified in the truth, to rejoice in this truth, to speak the truth in love, to wear the belt of truth, to walk in truth, and to correctly handle the word of truth. The church needs to be a place where there is doctrinal soundness. It needs to be a place where the truth is proclaimed and that truth is lived out in our daily lives. Now, the Church of Scientology, they devote themselves to the teaching of Ron L. Hubbard. The Mormon Church devotes themselves to the teaching of Joseph Smith. The Muslims devote themselves to the teaching of Muhammad. The postmodernists say, there's no such thing as truth. What is true for you may not be true for me. So they devote themselves to whatever. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who died and rose and is coming again, Jesus said, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last days. So we, like the early church, we must devote ourselves to the truth. Now let's look at that passage in Acts 2.42 again. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. Today we want to talk about fellowship and the importance of fellowship. We read that these Christians devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, this fellowship wasn't just that casual conversation over a cup of coffee. It wasn't a casual conversation at a, at a church dinner, you know, as you talk about sports or something. It wasn't just shaking hands when somebody comes in the building on Sunday morning. It wasn't just socializing, although there's nothing wrong with those things, and those things are good. But this fellowship was deeper than that. In Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 44, we read, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now understand, this is a rather unique situation. Because the church there in Jerusalem, it is the only church in the world at that time. If these new converts wanted to hear the apostles' teaching, there was only one place they could hear it. If they wanted to take the Lord's Supper, if they wanted the fellowship, this was the only place that could be done. Many of these new Christians were Jewish people who had come from outside the community. I'm sure there were many from inside Jerusalem, but many had come for the Passover and, and for Pentecost. And after becoming converts, they stayed. Because if they left, there was nowhere to go to hear the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to have the breaking of bread again. There was no place to go. So they stayed in Jerusalem. 
But they did not have jobs. They brought enough money and supplies to last them for this period of time from Pentecost, from Passover to Pentecost. But they did not have jobs here in Jerusalem. They did not have homes. They did not have a lot of extra money. And their friends and family, many of them, when they became Christians, now wanted nothing to do with them. So these Christians who were not from the Jerusalem area, I mean, I'm sorry, so these Christians who were from Jerusalem, they opened up their homes so these other people that had moved in could have a place to stay. They opened up their pocketbooks to help support them. They opened up their hearts and they formed this very close friendship. They ate together and they praised God together. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship was important then. And fellowship is important today. Look at the last part of that. The, that the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. That means these 3,000 Christians and, and others who became Christians every day, they were added to the church. God added them to a group of people. He added them to a body so they could grow, so they could be encouraged, so they could be comforted. The church ought to be a place, you see, that we find a rich fellowship, a place where we are refreshed and, and loved and forgiven and supported. It should be a place of great relationships. Landmark study was done in Harvard. Uh, they studied 7,000 people, and what they found out is the most isolated people were three times more likely to die at a younger age than those with strong relationships. They concluded this that people who had bad health habits, such as overeating or smoking or using alcohol, but had strong social ties, ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. Now, I, I figure out that means this. It is better to eat cupcakes with friends than broccoli alone. <laughs> that's not exactly what they said, but that's my take of it. What is true physically, though, is also true spiritually. We need a deep fellowship with other Christians, and that's why God gave us the church. The Christian life is meant to be lived together, and it's not always easy to be in the church because, you know, the church isn't perfect. We are not perfect. Ephesians 4.2 says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. The very fact that God tells us to be patient with one another suggests that people will annoy you, will test your patience. The fact that we are told to bear with one another suggests that people, at times, they, they will aggravate you. They will push your buttons. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive one another, which means people, even church people, will do things for which they need forgiven. It means that at times people will hurt you, maybe intentionally, maybe not intentionally. Nevertheless, there needs to be forgiveness. When something goes wrong in a relationship, we are tempted to wash our hands of the other person. But God says there needs to be forgiveness. I heard about a guy who dialed a friend's phone number, and he got a message. And the message went like this. I am not available right now, but thank you so very much for calling. I am making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, then you are one of the changes. <laughs> Church people aren't perfect, but God says we're family. We're related through the blood of Christ, and because of that, we have a special fellowship. Paul told Timothy that he should treat older men as, 
as a, as a father and younger men as brothers. Well, over 100 times in the New Testament letters, Christians are referred to as brothers and sisters. Paul, Peter, James, John, they all use that terminology. Hebrews 13.1 says, keep loving one another as brothers and sisters. We are family. 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 verse 17 says, love the family of believers. Now it takes effort to build relationships, even in a family. The Bible gives guidance on how to have a sweet fellowship, how to have great relationships. Philippians 2.5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Did you get that? In your relationships with one another. That term, one another, is used often in the New Testament. In fact, look at, look at the screen. We are told to agree with one another, to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to serve one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, offer hospitality to one another, love one another, greet one another, build up one another. And that's not all the one another phrases in the Bible. There are more. And I want to tell you something. If you do these things, you are going to have a great relationship with other people. Now, why is it important that in today's world we devote ourselves to fellowship? Well, I, I think we could talk about many reasons why fellowship is important, but I want to suggest just two to you this morning. Number one, Christian fellowship helps satisfy our need for love. Clara Knoll was a young mother and lived in Oklahoma City, and she wrote this. She said, it was one of the worst days of my life. The washing machine broke down. The telephone kept ringing. My head ached. Then the mailman brought a bill. I had no money to pay. Almost at the breaking point, I lifted my one-year-old into his high chair, leaned my head against the tray, and began to cry. And without a word, my son took his pacifier out of his mouth and stuck it in mine. We all need people who will notice when we're at the breaking point. Notice that we need help that we need someone to help maybe even care for us, someone to love us. Now, of course, we have a family that does that, but we as the church ought to be a family that also does that. We ought to find that type of support and love in our church family. And folks, I mentioned before the church isn't perfect because it's made of people and we are not perfect. And you can find people who will say, well, I'm not coming back to church. No one said hi to me when I came in today. I'm not coming back to church. Someone said something that upset me. I'm not coming back to church. I missed a week and nobody from the church called. No one visited when I was sick. No one offered help when I was laid off. And you know, a lot of times they're right. We messed up. We somehow overlooked their need. We don't want that type of thing to happen, but at times it, it happens. I will say this, the more active you are, the more involved you are in small groups and different ministries, the more volunteering you do, the more friends you have, the less likely this is to happen. But it will still happen. You are going to have church members and preachers and other leaders who disappoint you at times, who let you down, who seem to be preoccupied, who at the moment aren't as loving as you think they ought to be. Of course, that's not our goal as a church. We try not to let that happen. And the more you're involved in fellowshipping with others, the less likely that is to happen. In May, I will have been here 48 years. 
And let me tell you what I have seen, some of the things I have witnessed over those years. I've seen people literally hundreds of times preparing and taking food to those who are sick, to those who are grieving, to those who are simply hungry. I've seen our people giving up evenings and afternoons to go visit people in the hospital or a nursing home or just in their own homes. I've seen people travel down the road to go to a funeral service. And I've seen them travel 200 miles to go to a funeral service. I've seen our people tow cars and fix cars and change tires. I've seen them shovel walks and mow grass and clean windows and paint houses and build decks. I've seen them buy groceries and medicine and coats and shoes, clothes for the kids and clothes for the adults. I've seen them reach into their pocket and just give somebody a $20 bill, sometimes more, because they were in need. I've seen people provide transportation to the doctor's office, to the hospital, to Cleveland, to Pittsburgh, to Canton, to Akron. I've seen people, our people, spend countless hours in prayer. I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of cards sent to the sick, to the lonely, to the discouraged, to the grieving, and to those who are celebrating. I've seen our people babysit for a young couple who did not have money to pay for a babysitter. I've seen our people open their house to people. Sometimes it's a missionary who's visiting, needs a place to stay, a guest speaker who needs a place to stay. Sometimes it's a, a young mother who needs a place to stay. And sometimes they stay at the place for a few days, maybe a week, maybe a few months. I've seen people open the pocketbooks and give and give and give to help the needy. I've seen them volunteer their time. I've seen them go into homes where someone is sick and their family just needs someone to help a little bit and they might spend an hour, they might spend three hours, they might go back three or five times a week. I've also seen our people celebrate holidays and birthdays and weddings and anniversaries and graduations together. I've seen them hug and squeal with excitement over the news of a job promotion or, or good test results or a young person be accepted into a certain college. I've seen them go to breakfast and lunch and dinner together, go to movies and craft shows and revivals and camp. I've seen them bowl together and play softball together, some of them not very well, and play volleyball. I've seen them go to wave pools and amusement parks and ball games. I've seen them come together to paint, to clean, to build and repair. I've seen the joy and satisfaction on their faces as they work with others at caring hands or bringing in food for Harvest Sundays or doing the walk for life. And I and these people I'm talking about, they're not imaginary people. They're here today. They're sitting next to you. And because I'm a preacher here, I, I, and I've been here a long time, I, I kind of get a unique perspective. You're certainly aware of some of the things that people do, but I'm aware of a lot more that people do, and a lot of things people do behind the scenes. And there are a lot of things that are done that I'm not aware of. We have so many people who just do things. They don't want applause. They don't want recognition. They don't want noticed. They just want to help others and enjoy this special fellowship they have in the church. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And when we devote ourselves to fellowship, that's what we do. We show our love to others. Now, the second reason I think fellowship is so important is Christian fellowship strengthens us. The early church was facing a hostile environment, and the fellowship they shared strengthened them to remain faithful during times of temptation, strengthened them to go on and, and not quit. 
The world can be a very discouraging place. And sometimes you get the impression, I'm the only one left who cares about values. I'm the only one left who believes in the Bible. I'm the only one left alone that has Christian commitment. Everybody is cheating. Everybody is on drugs. Everybody is greedy. But then you have fellowship with Christian people and you realize you're not alone. There are a lot of people who share your convictions. And that fellowship strengthens you to stand your ground. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for the work. If one falls down, his friend can help him get up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Christian people need fellowship. That fellowship strengthens us. Now today, because of the internet, we can experience a certain type of fellowship when we're not even actually with people. Social media has changed the way we relate to other people. A while back in Reader's Digest, a lady wrote this. I've given up on social media for the new year, and I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles. So every day I walk down the street and tell people I pass by what I've eaten, how I feel, what I did the night before, and what I plan to do tomorrow. Then I give them pictures of my family, my dog, and me gardening. I also listen in on their conversations and tell them I love them. And it works. I already have three people following me, two policemen and a psychiatrist. <laughs> now listen, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and YouTube now let us communicate with people across the street and in the world in real time. That can be a very, very good thing for many reasons. We need to use social media in the church. We need to take advantage of this fellowship tool. But social media cannot and should not replace face-to-face -face fellowship, person-to-person -person fellowship. As most of you know, I have a, a daughter who lives in California with my grandchildren, they're her children too, but in California with my grandchildren and her husband. And I am extremely grateful uh, that I can talk to her on FaceTime, you know, that I can see her face to face. We can talk in real time. And I can see her. I can see the twinkle in her eyes. I can hear my grandchildren say, I love you, granddad. I can see the joy in their voices. And I can also see when there are tears in their eyes. Think about it. Think about when there was only a time that we could communicate person to person, face to face. And then there came letters, and then there came the telegraph, and then there came the telephone, and then the cell phone, and now we can see what's going on face to face. In fact, there are people who will be watching our service, even though they're not here this morning. And today I can talk to my daughter Chelsea and my son-in-law and my, my grand. Uh, children that are 2,500 miles away. And I can even give them a virtual hug. And I'm glad that I can do that. I would not want to go back to a time when this technology wasn't available. But I want to say this. A virtual hug is not the same as hugging a person in person. And seeing Chelsea and the grandkids online is not the same as seeing them face face. 
Now we need to take advantage of today's social media where we can communicate and encourage and virtually fellowship with others almost anywhere in the world. But we must not let virtual fellowship replace face-to-face -face fellowship. Let, let us use it to enhance our fellowship but not replace face-to-face -face fellowship. The early church, they devoted themselves to fellowship. It was fellowship that helped them stand firm. It was fellowship that helped them show their love to one another. I want to ask you this. Are you devoted to fellowship? Or do you need to recommit yourself to fellowship in 2024? Maybe you have three or four families that you hang around with here in church. And maybe you personally don't need a lot more fellowship. But maybe there's a family here. Maybe there's a couple here. Maybe there's a single mother here. Maybe a young person here who needs your fellowship. Don't deprive them. It's important. Let's devote ourselves as a church to the apostles' teaching, to the truth, and to fellowship. If you're here this morning as a member of the church, that's the challenge to you. If you're here this morning and, and, and you're not a member, if you're not a, a Christian, we'd like to encourage you to become a Christian. The Bible says it's so simple. Faith that leads us to repent of our sins, that is turn from doing wrong and doing what God would have us to do. We are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and gift of the Holy Spirit, born again into his family. Every Sunday we offer an invitation. If you need to make that decision to become a Christian, if you come forward, we can take your confession today and baptize you into Christ. Let's stand as we sing our invitation hymn together. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we have a traditional service at 845 and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Check our Facebook page for evening adult and youth service times throughout the week.